0: Um, We're picking up where we left off last week. I knew that was too much material to cover in one message. So we're picking up today with Roman numeral number three. Corporate prayer brings unity uh, to the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter four, the Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Um, It would be difficult to overemphasize how important it is to maintain unity in the body of Christ. I think that if we consider the most important thing to occur in the life of an unbeliever is to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The most important thing in the life of a believer is to learn to dwell with other believers in unity. And, you know, unity does not mean uh, unison. Harmony is unity, but it's not unison. That's when everyone has a part that blends and contributes to the whole. And when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, we don't mean that we all agree. What we do mean is that we all love each other supremely above all other things. And even when we uh, fail one another, and this does not preclude the idea that you have to uh, work out some of those things from time to time, but even when we fail one another, the scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. If there's anything that grieves the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, it is lack of unity. The Colossians and the Galatian passages that I've given you in this Roman numeral three um, highlight the idea that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither barbarian nor Scythian, there's not man, there's not woman. Um, All are one in Jesus Christ. And the emphasis is that we are together in the body of Christ. And I submit to you that one of the things that develops this unity is when we pray together. When we come together for corporate prayer and when we pray together with open hearts and open minds before the Lord, if we're willing to allow God to do whatever He wants to do in our lives. And, and that's kind of like the, the prerequisite, I might say. You can pray all day, and if you're not willing... God to change you it's not going to do you any good um, God speaks to those who are ready to listen to him but if we come before God with an open heart and an open mind and we're willing uh, to be changed then corporate prayer together uh, builds unity I heard about, uh, many years ago, because I was uh, in college at the time, so you know it was a few years ago, but I heard about uh, a church that was having squabbles and was on the verge of splitting. And if you've ever been involved in a church that is schismatic, uh, you know what that is like. Uh, A dear friend of mine who was a pastor's daughter and uh, grew up in the church said you've never been done in. Until you've been done in by a Christian. Uh, I think one of the reasons is you, you don't expect it from that quarter. But um, church fights can get really nasty. And people can be really uh, mean to one another. Um, I have uh, been in a few skirmishes like that uh, pastorally. Where I've just kind of stood back and looked and thought. Only the devil could come up with this stuff. This is beyond human beings uh, to even think up. It's, it's amazing how, uh, how wicked uh, sometimes people can be to each other in the family of God. And so I heard about this church that was in one of those down and out fights. And they were on the verge of uh, splitting. And they invited a mediator to come in and try to bring some a harmony back to the fellowship. And uh, I don't envy a person in that position, by the way. And you know, the the typical approach is to go in and get everybody in the same room and kind of be the referee and to say, okay, let's hear your side. Now let's hear your side. Now tell me what problems you have with this side and you tell me what problems you have with this side And, and you try to get conversation going. But this guy was a very wise person. And what he did was he got all of the leadership together that were on you know, opposite sides of the fence. He got them all together around a table. And he said, now, he said, I understand that you've had some pretty uh, harsh things to say about one another. And you've been very critical. And you're in the midst of this, uh, this tremendous fight. And I just want you to know that you can say in this meeting, you can say anything you want about anybody or to anybody. As long as you say it to God. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. And you can tell God anything you want to tell Him about the other people around this table. And after a while, awkward silence, and then prayer, there came a breaking and humility. And God began to do the work of healing because it's hard to go before God and be petty. It's hard to go before God and be mean and nasty in your comments. And God has a way of dealing with our own heart. And that's what happened on that occasion. It's difficult to be in lack of unity, if you're willing to truly come before the throne of God and pray together. Corporate prayer builds unity in the body of Christ. It also builds faith and prepares for the manifestation of God's presence. In Acts chapter 13, we have the record that uh, the elders at the church in Antioch were in a prayer meeting. And while they were in this prayer meeting, uh, seeking the mind of God for the congregation and for His will, the Holy Spirit said to them, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work unto which I have called them. Now, there's some very interesting things about the statement made regarding that prayer meeting. One is, somehow these elders knew how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They knew how, in the process of prayer, to hear God. And I, I submit to you that that comes from practice and from listening, to, to be able to perceive when God is speaking. And then the other thing is that what the leadership and the church heard was separate unto us, unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work "...to which I have called them." And obviously, Paul and Barnabas had already heard from God. There was already an awareness in their heart that they were being called. And yet, they were in this prayer time together, and whether they had said anything to the other elders or not, I don't know. You know, sometimes we talk about those things, and then we seek God together, and sometimes... Uh, you don't say anything, and you're praying, and God points it out. But however it happened, Paul and Barnabas had already sensed the call of God. But as they came together to pray, the church had the confirmation of the call of God. And that builds faith. You may not be aware that in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we at least give lip service to this kind of process. And we do that because a person who wants to be ordained or consecrated within the Christian and Missionary Alliance must have the recommendation of the elders of the church they're serving and confirmation of their call before they can be considered for ordination. What happens is, a person comes in and says I feel called of God and I have been preparing and you know I'm I'm ready to begin ministry and we give them a license they go through a, an interview process and a testing process and they get a license that license means they are approved to begin ministry in a probationary period and as they begin their ministry they serve in, in some kind of uh, church capacity somewhere and they work for two to three years on the process of becoming ordained, which is the confirmation of their call. And when they come to the end of that two to three year process and they come back to the licensing and ordination committee and say, I'm ready now to be ordained, I've uh I've read the material I was supposed to read. I've written the papers. I've studied the the doctrine. And I've been serving in the church. They have to have the written recommendation of the elders and the board of the church. They have been serving. Saying in essence, we have watched this person. And we affirm to you that we believe the call of God is on their life. You know, and that's important. Because the church is then confirming what God has already spoken to the individual. And you know, there will come a point, and the reason I say that this kind of corporate praying builds faith and confidence, is there will always come a point in performing the will of God where opposition will arise. There is no advancing of the kingdom of God without resistance. The enemy of our souls is never going to just sit by and let the church of God advance without any resistance. And many times the people that are leading in those ministries that are out on that cutting edge of the advancing of the kingdom come under attack and one of the things that happens is they begin to doubt their call. I mean, the enemy works that way. And how much more significant when the church has heard separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And you can go back and say, I know I was called, but... I had the confirmation of the congregation. I had the elders pray over me and and lay their hands on me. And I sensed the call of God and they sensed the call of God. And that kind of corporate seeking of the Lord in prayer builds uh, faith and prepares for the manifestation of God's uh, presence. Spiritual leadership is confirmed through corporate prayer. You know, in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, you remember Jesus said to the the, the disciples, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which He has said, you will receive the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to wait until the promise of the Father comes upon you. And while they were in that upper room, 120 of them, in a prayer meeting, waiting on God... Peter stood among them and said, we need to replace Judas. Uh, Judas was one of us and he was a traitor and turned away and his space is vacant and we need to replace him with someone who has been with us from the beginning and has seen the things that we have seen that can testify to the the miraculous power and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so, in saying that, Uh, They selected two from among them, uh, and then they drew lots. You say, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, the Scripture says they prayed about it. And, you know, we have our customs. Uh, It'll be in September when we have elections, and we vote. Some people draw lots. Some people do other kinds of things in different cultures, But the Scripture says, the man casts the lot, the Lord determines the outcome. It's specifically speaking of seeking the will of God. And when we pray and bathe the process in prayer, God can even speak through our cultural manifestations in giving us a revelation of His will and direction. And so the choice of spiritual leadership is revealed through prayer. And historically, revival comes to the church through prayer. These are the kinds of things that happen when the church prays together. I'm really not preaching a corporate message this morning. (laughs) I told you about ordination in the CNMA. I'm going to tell you about one of our core values. But we have listed as one of our core values... In the Christian Missionary Alliance, prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Think about that a moment. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. And I know that oftentimes it does not feel like consolation. When I say to someone who is homebound because of illness or disability, you are able to pray for us. I know you can't get out. I know you can't join with us. I know you can't participate in active ministry roles of teaching and working with kids or working with adults or whatever. I know you can't do that. But prayer is a vital ministry which you can do. And sometimes, you know, people feel a little bit let down by that. It's like, well, all I can do is pray. But think about it. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Last week I gave you the quote from Armin Geswine. It's a good one to remember. He said, Until you have prayed, you can do nothing. After you have prayed, there is nothing you cannot do. We have to come to the conviction that praying makes a difference that it actually releases not only the mind of Christ, but the power of God to effect change. And Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Now, the problem is that many churches do a lot of stuff without praying. And they assume that they're doing the will of God. You know, and yet they're not. They're working in their own strength. Many, many churches, and, and, and sometimes I see it among us, we're not exempt from the problem, that we engage in something because we think, oh, I know how to manage. I know how to accomplish this. I know how to order literature and organize a class. I know how to set up a special event. I have some background in advertising. I know how to accomplish this uh, from a marketing and publicity standpoint. I can make this happen. And unfortunately, we can stir up a lot of activity and, and do something. But what Jesus meant was, if I'm not in it, There will be no eternal results. There will be no lasting benefit. You will spin your wheels and exhaust yourself becoming weary with well-doing and you will find that when it's all said and done you have really accomplished nothing. Years go by in ministries where all that we do is hold our place and mark time because we're continuing to function on our own. There was a point in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God, the glory of God, departed from the tabernacle and the word Ichabod was written, uh, which means the glory has departed. And friends, that happens many times to congregations. The glory has departed and no one knew it because they were doing business as usual. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing that has spiritual benefit, eternal consequence, lasting transformation. How many people can you win to Jesus Christ? How many people can you convict of sin and give faith for new birth? How many people can you change their heart by what you say or do? How many people can you effect miraculous transformation? Because you're so clever in your counsel and wisdom. Friends, my assessment after 40 years of preaching is I can't change anyone. I just simply can't. Unless God does the work, it's not going to happen. And that cannot be accomplished apart from prayer without me you can do nothing. But Jesus said, I have appointed you and sent you that you should pray that whatever you ask in My name, it will be done, that the Father can be glorified in the Son, and that you will bear much fruit. But the fruit comes through us, not from us. We are called to be devoted to prayer. Romans chapter 12, if you'd like to turn back there, if you still have your finger in Ephesians, go back a few books to Romans chapter 12. And in that passage, Paul has um, turned a corner from his theological argument, as it were, and is beginning to give his practical application of the teaching. Most of his letters uh, break out that way. And in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 9, "...let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor." There's the unity factor. "...not lagging behind in diligence." fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. That's the ministry of the church. And finally, corporate prayer brings correction and clarifies direction. You know, sometimes we start down a path, And we heard from God very clearly where to begin. And we start down the path, and then we begin to encounter difficulty. And one source of the difficulty, as I've always mentioned, as I've already mentioned, could be the enemy's opposition. But another part of the difficulty could be that we heard from God take this step and we just figured since we were headed in that direction, we can just go on and take a few more instead of having that consistent dependence upon God. And so as we begin to move, sometimes we take it upon ourselves and we we hit a snag because God wants to make a change. And He wants to give a course correction. And when you look at the book of Acts and, in um chapter 16, Uh, the apostles uh, are on a journey, on a missionary journey, the one that God separated them for. And they have been evangelizing and planting churches. And then we're told that they uh, tried to go over here. And they couldn't go. And then they tried to go over to this place. And the Scripture says, very tellingly, uh, the Spirit of God was not letting us. In other words, something was wrong, and and they sensed that, that we shouldn't be going in that direction, but they didn't know where to go. And although it's not specifically mentioned, I can assure you, based on Paul's writings, that they were in the process of prayer. They were seeking God for direction. And Luke says that Paul had a dream or a vision, doesn't say it was a dream, says it was a vision, And he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And as he shared that with the group, Luke says, we concluded that God was sending us to Macedonia. And that is, in fact, where God opened the doors for them for effective ministry. It is through praying together that God can make the course corrections and fine-tune the direction so that we can be moving in the right place all the time. One of the challenges that we sometimes find as the church comes together is uh, mixing cultures and mixing people from different backgrounds. Uh, You know, I I was able, I had a little more time, I think, at 9 o'clock. I don't know how I ended up there, but I had more time to develop this a little bit. But so many times... When we try to blend cultures, we run into problems. Because uh, the simplest definition I've ever heard of culture is the way we do things. I mean, that, that just boils it down. What, wherever you're from, whatever your background is, your culture determines the way you do things. That's what you've learned. That's what's natural to you. And it's natural, even when people come to Christ, they continue. God doesn't uh, upend their culture, necessarily. Um, And so, but yet we are called to be one in the body of Christ. And that's what happened in the New Testament when the gospel began to go to the Gentiles, I mean if you if you really could get into the Jewish mindset I don't I don't know if we can put ourselves there but if you could really get into the Jewish mindset of the day they despised the gentiles they had no use for them at all uh, they were disgusting to them and then the spirit of god began to bring them to faith in christ and springing up all over the Roman Empire were Gentile churches. And it was like, these people were not following the law of Judaism. What is this stuff? Because they felt it was wrong. And so uh, they sent Paul and uh, Silas back, and they had a conversation with the leaders in Jerusalem. You can read about that. Uh, in Acts chapter 15. And they went back and they said, what are we to tell the Gentile brothers? And um, they wrote a letter from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. And they wrote it to the Gentiles and had Paul and Silas deliver this letter. And the letter, I'm going to summarize it for you because we're about out of time, but basically the letter said this. We hear that some people who claim to have come from us, have distressed you and disturbed your soul. And we're sorry for that. They did not come with our authority. We have examined the situation, and we say to you, the only thing we want you to do is to not eat meat sacrificed to idols, to abstain from blood, and from animals that have been strangled, and from fornication. And if you do these things... We're fine with whatever else you do. I mean, four simple rules summarized the only thing that the spiritually minded Jewish believers and leaders recommended to the Gentiles. And when you get further into the analysis of that, you find out that even some of those were a concession to the culture of The Jewish believers. In other words, (laughs) Paul said later to the Corinthians, if you go to the marketplace and buy a steak, don't ask if it was sacrificed. Don't ask about it. Just buy the meat, take it home, put it on the grill. Just keep it simple. Okay? But if the shopkeeper says to you, this was sacrificed this morning in in the temple not the Jewish temple, (laughs) Then, then you say, no, thank you. Okay? But Paul said, there's nothing wrong with the meat. But if you know it was sacrificed to an idol, don't buy it. Why? Because it will give deep offense to the Jewish believers among you. It will be a stumbling block to them. And don't don't just needlessly put that in their way. But if you don't know, just enjoy it. Because it doesn't have an inherent problem. It is through prayer that God can change our hearts and open our eyes. As Cornelius and his family and friends were praying that God would send them someone that could give them insight into the gospel that Peter was trying to take a nap. Poor guy. And, uh, you know, he was trying to get a little rest, and he kept having this dream. And in his dream, this sheet was coming down out of heaven, and it had everything in it that he was always told, don't ever eat this stuff. It's against the law, you know. And he heard a voice say, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord. I heard um, a well-known preacher say one time that no one who ever says Lord should say no. And no one who says no should ever say Lord. Those do not go together. But that was Peter's original response. And then finally, after he'd had this dream a couple of times, someone knocked on the door and said, Peter, uh, Cornelius has sent for you and he wants you to come to his house. And Peter knew that God had prepared him to go to the home of a Gentile and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When we are open to the Spirit of God and we are willing to let God change our heart, God can show us when culture is merely a difference as opposed to when there's something really wrong. And the unity of the body of Christ is enhanced when we are willing to become humble and learn from one another. Corporate prayer is essential for the unity of the body.